Welcome to Christians in the Public Square with your hosts, Cole Bennett and Scott Self. Hey, buddy. Hello, Scott. How are you today? I'm very good. I'm very excited about today's conversation. We teased it a little bit last time, didn't we? We did, and I'm going to introduce our special guest in just a moment. But first, before I do that, I think we should go ahead and make sure people know about our three tenants. Uh, that's right. Boy, we sure had to go over these last time um, <laughs> because, uh, and, we, and we need them again today. So the first is, uh, sacred cows make great barbecue. We will scoff at orthodoxy whenever we please. That's right. And the second one? Uh, we will fly our flags proudly. Yeah, and last week we were flying some flags. We'll get around to some more, I think, today. That's right. And last week we had to remember carefully that we are bros before politicos, which is our third tenet, which is very important sometimes whenever I have to remember that Scott is my my brother first, and only then do we work out everything else. Sometimes I have to remind myself of that because he's wrong so often. But not about, I mean, I think we're on the same side on abortion. Well, I we'll see today. We will see okay. today. I'm, I'm interested. All right. Today, I'm happy to introduce our guest, who is Dr. Kenneth Pibus. Dr. Pibus is Associate Professor and Chairperson of the Journalism and Mass Communication Department at Abilene Christian University. And I will say Kenneth. Kim, may I call you Kenneth? You Kenneth may. is also uh, he is also also has a juris doctorate and is an attorney, uh, and I don't know if he knows that I know this about him, but he is considered somewhat of an expert on the First Amendment. He was uh, he is interviewed from time to time by famous people to talk about the First Amendment. So I think we're going to get into all of that today, and I'm so excited that you're here, Kenneth. Welcome. Welcome. Well, thanks. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. And I uh, had I known about the three tenants, I may have reconsidered the uh, the fifty here. Oh, can you no, like I, barbecue? No, no, I do know. I do know the three tenants, and uh, I, ha- I have listened, and uh, and I uh, willingly submit to the three tenants. So. <laughs> the other thing is, what else would you call me, Cole? Uh, well, to be on your podcast. Well, we have so many names for you that you don't know. About. <laughs> yes, that's, yeah, that's probably. <laughs> I was going to say. I was going to say. You said. You said. You may not know this. You know about about me. But I thought maybe it was the various names that people call me on campus. What I say is, if if I if I deal with a colleague, you know, who introduces himself or herself as Doctor So and So, I I kind of quit listening. So, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way. <laughs> well, so I just like to refer to you as a, as Solicitor Pibus. So, so yeah, that's okay, <laughs> Counselor, Counselor, <laughs> Counselor Pibus Esquire. <laughs> Ken, I want I want to start by. Um, last week, Scott and I talked quite a bit about a documentary called AKA Jane Roe. Yes. And what I want to do is I want to start today. I think we're going to go on kind of a windy path today, but there's some places I want to go for sure. And I would like you to kind of, um, tell our listeners in a nutshell or in a capsule way, what the actual Roe versus Wade case and ruling was. We learned about the case in the documentary, but they didn't come with the ruling. And I'm interested in your take as an attorney 
on the state of the ruling. And I know there was a, there was a landmark case or two after that that greatly influenced that ruling. Yeah. And then and kind of end up talking about where people are today who want to change the law. What are they trying to do and, and what would it change? Yeah. Do you how, how far back do you want me to go? Do you want me to go back to the foundation of the Constitution and um, the ratification of the Bill of Rights? Or do you want to just go back to 73? I think back to 73, unless you need to okay. mention the definition of, of life and liberty. Well, yeah. So I, I do want to mention that uh, that the that Roe versus Wade is a court decision interpreting the Constitution, and so it, it is important to understand it's not just we have the Supreme Court justices and they decide whether abortion is good or bad. And so you know, seven of them said abortion's good, two of them said it's bad, and so now we have abortion. You know, it's really uh, it's it is like all Supreme Court decisions. Uh, not all, but like most Supreme Court decisions, it's an interpreting the Constitution question. And so I think it is, I think it's important to go back one case at least, to go back to 1965. Is that okay to go back to Griswold yes, versus yes, Connecticut? Sure. Griswold versus Connecticut. Connecticut had a law against contraception, and uh, it had been passed 100 years earlier. Um, and um, it was challenged by Planned Parenthood. Griswold was a director of Planned Parenthood, and they they were um, you know advocating for contraception. And it went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said uh, that the Constitution protects the right of marital privacy against state restrictions on a couple's ability to be canceled in the use of contraceptives. And so, what that means is that this that there is a right to privacy. The court decided. And that had not been decided before 1965, and that that right to privacy includes the right to whether you can buy contraceptives. Um, the challenge was, and and this this case, which I think was decided kind of about the time all three of us were born, so it's you know so it's been around a while. The case um, is still made fun of because of the way in which the Supreme Court decided that this right to privacy existed. The majority opinion written by William O. Douglas said that, well, we, we've always said that there are these rights that, that exist outside of the Constitution, you know, not articulated by the Constitution, um, and, and they still exist. And so there are guarantees in the Bill of Rights, or the, the guarantees that exist in the Bill of Rights to the Constitution have penumbras formed by emanations from those guarantees that give them life and substance. Okay. And that's and what, <laughs> Yes, and undulations. And so that's what gets made fun of, um, uh, still gets made fun of, you know, to this day, 55 years later, is, and because, you know, the first has the right to your, your expression of your opinion. The third, you know, you, you're free from quartering soldiers. The fourth, you, you know, you, you can't unreasonable searches and seizures. The fifth, uh, testifying against yourself. You know, all of those have some kind of emanations of the right to privacy. And so mm-hmm. kind of roundly, roundly criticized. And so in part, 1973, the Supreme Court was was maybe rectifying, but um, it, it jettisoned these this idea of penumbras and emanations 
formed by emanations. And it based this right to privacy on other things uh, in the Constitution. And so, uh, so I think that's kind of important to understand. Um, okay. But so th- that kind of brings us to 73 and, and the Roe versus Wade decision. Do you want to talk about how much did you talk about it last time? Well, just we just noted that uh, Jane Roe never intended to get an abortion. She was seeking to let her child be adopted. And the leftist lawyers seized upon uh, her persona as a poor person with few choices, quote unquote, and decided yeah. to use that case to approach the court. Um, okay. That was, that was all yeah. he said about it. And so, um, yes. And I think, um, and, and you talked about that, uh, that documentary, um, and we can come kind of come back to that. Um, but yes. So at the time, and this is, this is kind of an important aspect of Roe versus Wade at the time of, of the decision, 30 States, including Texas had laws against abortion, whether it was, uh, you know, complete outright laws against abortion at, you know, one day after conception, uh, and other states had some exceptions for the right of, or, or for the, in the case of uh, incest or uh, the case of rape. Uh, Texas did not. Texas had a, a ban, outright ban on abortion, except in the case of the health of the mother. And so, if mm-hmm. if by giving birth the mother uh, the mother's health would be in danger, um, that at any point in the nine month process. Um, my, my wife reminds me that it's not just nine months because she's the one who had to carry the child and not me. But in the process, uh, at any point in that process, uh, it was it was uh, banned by the state of Texas. And so, so uh, you're you're right. Norma McCorvey was the the plaintiff. Uh, she was Roe, and there was a second case called Doe versus Bolton, which was uh, combined with Roe versus Wade. And that was out of Georgia. And so this Texas and Georgia case went up to the Supreme Court. And and it was argued actually twice in 71 and 72. It was argued in part, it was argued twice because I think two justices who had heard the initial argument um, left the bench um, or died. I can't remember exactly. There were two justices who had to be replaced. And so they, they decided, well, we need to replace, you know, we need to let those hear the oral arguments. Uh, and so in 1973, January of 1973, and this is in January 22nd, uh, Supreme Court issued Roe versus Wade and the decision and uh, held that women in the United States have a fundamental right to, uh, to have an abortion without excessive governmental restriction and then struck down Texas and Georgia's abortion ban as unconstitutional. And they they predicated it on the right of privacy that this right of privacy that that had been recognized in Griswold versus Connecticut in, in sixty five. Real quick here, I I remember Ken. I read one time um, the language of what I thought was the the court language of Roe v. Wade after the ruling. I, I say yeah. court language. I mean the ruling. And of course, uh, you. I'm not sure how many dissenters there were and if they wrote anything but what's what struck me at the time as a student of rhetoric was that they were engaging in what i would call aristotle's definite argument by definition saying every person has rights but we the court are saying that it is not a person in the woman's womb during the first trimester it does not meet the definition of a person is that right yes in fact um, and you said first trimester. I would say the language of the, of the decision 
is uh, that a fetus is not a person under the Constitution at all. That there is mm-hmm. no that 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 under the definition of of the the rights as defined or recognized in the Constitution, that the fetus does not have any rights at all up until the point of delivery. Uh, in the language of the decision, okay, and so. Um, now the court does say in the in the language of Roe versus Wade that uh, that the state has an interest in protecting the life of the fetus, but it doesn't say that the fetus has a right has rights under under the the, the Constitution. So it can, do you see the the um, yeah. the distinction there? Okay. Yes, it's not a person; it's still a fetus. But the fetus, the state has an interest in protecting the fetus. Okay. Yeah. But only in the third trimester. Correct. Correct. And so, so I think it's, I I think, um, and I can kind of, kind of jump ahead to that trimester description, but, but the courts, the, the language of the decision lays out this elaborate system of when the rights exist, uh, who, you know, when the government's, uh, um, interest exists, and kind of when you can apply those. And it's based on the trimester system, which was um, kind of the common distinction at the, based on the technology of the day of 1973. Um, generally, the first and second trimester, uh, those were, that was non-viability, right? It was the third trimester was at the time, 1973, um, was considered to be the point at which a, a child is born uh, the child can still, you know, can still live outside the womb. Okay. That, you know, that's been technologically, that's been pushed back pretty dramatically in the, you know, in the years since, in the, in the Mm -hmm. nearly 50 years since, um, which is, I, which is, I think, and we'll get to this, one of the problems with this decision, um, because the decision kind of freezes in time, the, um, Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the technological, you know, uh, and it, it predicates these rights, Based on the technology, the technology that exists at the day at the time, so um, so we can talk about that that trimester framework, or we can talk about where they found the right to privacy. Which do you want to talk about? I want to know more about privacy because I think that's um, that's one of the things that that, to, that I I don't understand well, and I think is a sticking point in understanding the decision. It doesn't evaluate abortion as a good. Right. It, it, yeah. It's it's really evaluating uh, rights and specifically rights to privacy. So I kind of like to understand that a little bit better. One of the challenges to uh, to abortion and the right to privacy is the fact that a right to privacy is not articulated in the Constitution. Uh, right. The con- <laughs> Constitution does not mention a right to privacy. Um and there's a there's a good reason for that. It's because it wasn't an interest that was uh, front of mind or top of mind for uh, for the founders at um, at the you know at the time of the adoption of the Constitution. On on either side of uh, of kind of the debate about articulation of rights. So this is kind of the political science aspect of this. But you you may remember. From and I vaguely remember from high school, you know, uh, history. But you know, you had the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists, 
And mm-hmm. the Federalists said, we're going to have this constitution and it's going to, and this constitution, and they all agreed, this constitution gives power to the federal government. And any power the federal government has is power that we give to them, that we as people and the states give to the federal government. And the, and the, and so the Federalists said, well, anything we don't give them, they don't have, and so we don't have to articulate rights. And the Anti-Federalists said, we want a list of the rights that we have. Uh, and so one of the things that, that Alexander Hamilton said, and he was a Federalist, he said, well, if you list the rights out, then, then that leads people to think that those are the only rights that you have. Right. Okay. And so... So that so now, and he was right. Now you have people, and this is these are people who are opposing abortion. Often saying there is no right to privacy because it's not articulated in the Constitution. Um, but but that that was exactly the point that Hamilton made two hundred years ago. More um, that that there are these rights. There are lots of rights that that are not articulated. Um, in the Bill of Rights, or that, that we wouldn't articulate in a Bill of Rights. And that's why we shouldn't have a Bill of Rights. But hmm. many people said, we're not going to adopt the Constitution if we don't, if we don't have a Bill of Rights, or, or if we don't have the promise of a Bill of Rights. And so the hmm. first thing they did was promise a Bill of Rights. And so, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, so that's why, uh, and I think that's really kind of one of the, one of the challenges is for, for some people is, Understanding that the Constitution is a document of enumerated powers, whereby we retain everything that we don't give the federal government. And I believe there is a right to privacy, even if it's not articulated in the Constitution. So um, in this case, in Roe versus Wade, the court said, yeah, there is a right to privacy, um, we think, some of us think that it's found in the 14th Amendment. Some of us fi- think that it's found in the Ninth Amendment. But regardless, the right to privacy is broad enough to encompass uh, a woman's decision whether or not to terminate her pregnancy. So the Ninth Amendment was, was added, included with the Bill of Rights in 1791. And it said, and this was, this was kind of to appease Hamilton and Madison, who were Federalists, and it said the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. <laughs> right. So, so what that means is, is if we have some rights, just because we list out the other the, the rights that that like free speech or, or freedom to, to possess a, a firearm or you know to not quarter soldiers, you know, first, second, and third. Just because we list those out doesn't mean there are, there are not other rights retained by the people. And so one of the arguments is this right to privacy comes from that language. The other thing that it did, Kenneth, was it gathered up all the various wording of the states and made it into a federal law that, that says no matter what your state had said, uh, this is now going to be a federal protection of the choice yes. of the right of a woman to choose to have an abortion, and it thus muted all the states, right? So yes, so in, so it, in effect, it, it it struck down Texas's Texas um, anti-abortion law, but it also struck down twenty nine other abortion laws. But technically, the it did not create law, though. Technically, it just struck no. down state laws. 
It just said these state laws that exist that say you can't have an abortion um, are are not are unconstitutional. Are invalid. They are right. invalid because they conflict with uh, with this right to privacy. Uh, and so, so yes, and it, so it, it federalized the um, the the issue of uh, of abortion, which which it's not something that that the federal government had dealt with at any point before that. Um, it, mm-hmm. You know, whether to regulate abortion, just like whether to regulate most murders or any other kinds of things, whether to regulate behavior in many many ways is. In ninety percent handled, ninety five percent handled by the state government. Well, and, to a certain that, degree, I mean, the states can't decide that murder is legal. Yeah, yeah. Except, except, um, just every state, the laws on the books, the criminal law uh, related to murder is all state rather than federal, and it's punished at the state level, hmm. and different states punish differently. Uh, so right. in Texas, I, in Texas, I could if I'm if I'm convicted of capital murder, I could be sentenced to death. In other states, uh, I can't. But would a situation? And I'm not I'm, tra- I'm not trying to be cute here. But would a situation arise where, for example, let's say in Arizona, I'm just picking Arizona out for fun. If Arizona we decided to say, uh, you know what, we decided anybody can murder anybody for any reason. Yeah. Well, how how would who would um, prevent that from happening or who would, um, prevent Arizona from doing that? Yeah. I'm wondering, does the federal government then have, uh, does it have a right the, under the constitution could the federal to government limit that? In? Right. Uh, you know, I think, and, I, and I'm not being cute. I think, I think this no, is no, one I of the things we ask about abortion. It's also something yeah. we ask about voters' rights and, and places where this, where the, the federal government has an interest in defining what some of these things are. Absolutely. The federal government has an interest in ensuring that people don't commit murder. Um, But the federal government cannot mandate that Arizona um, uh, have a law against murder. The federal government could say, uh, I, I think I think 200 years ago, the founders, 200 and some odd years ago, the founders would have said, well, that'd be a, a shame, but there's nothing we can do about it because of the concept, <laughs> the concept wow. of federalism. What, you know, that what a bunch of what a bunch of morons in Arizona, if Arizona had existed in, you know, 1789. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> but <clears throat> so what's the what's the recourse? The recourse is. Uh, that, that the federal government says, uh, Arizona, if you don't have a law against murder, we're going to deny you federal funding. Uh, we're going to withhold you know, your highway funds. <laughs> we're going to re- withhold your highway, which is what they did, you know, which is what the federal government does for lots of things. Um, yes, it could extort sure. the state uh, into right. into having the law. Um, or, the, or the Congress could pass its own you know, murder law, and people could argue whether whether it has the authority to do that under the Constitution. Two hundred years ago, people would say, "No, it doesn't have the authority." Today, that you know, people would say, "Well, the Commerce Clause or some other, you know, some other clause right. gives it authority." <laughs> so we we have a more uh, people have a more expansive view of what uh, of what uh, powers are uh, enumerated in the Constitution than they did two hundred years ago. Yeah. So in this program before, Ken, I've harped on the Tenth Amendment, which is yes, um, yeah, goes so well with the Ninth Amendment, and I think yeah. 
I think people are, including me, but people are cloudy when it comes to trying to parse out exactly how the powers get enumerated. Yeah, well, so, so and I, and I, I, when I said this, I kind of, I, I tried to be really precise. I don't always, I'm not always precise in what I say. Um, <laughs> in fact, I should say rarely precise in what I say. Um, but, uh, but, but when the Constitution was adopted, uh, the the authority or the um, uh, the power that was granted to the federal government was granted it by essentially by the states um, mm-hmm. for, on behalf of the people on behalf mm-hmm. of the people uh, and that's why we have the ninth and the tenth amendments the ninth amendment says that uh, that the the other rights are retained by the people. The 10th amendment says the powers not delegated to the United States by the constitution nor prohibited to it uh, by it to the States are reserved to the States respectively or to the people. So essentially it says there, there are some authority that's granted to the federal government. um, But there's some authority that's retained by the States. And that's the, that's the concept of federalism which, which gives states the authority to, to regulate things in different ways. And it necessarily creates an important tension, right, between individual, well, actually a, a three-part tension between individual rights, states' rights, and federal rights. Yeah, or and, federal yeah. Rights. And, and had that, had that uh, I think, had there not been the understanding that that amendment would ha, that would be included in the bill of rights had that exi- understanding not existed the states would not have some states would not have ratified the constitution because they would have been afraid to to be handing over too much power um because there were some people who were just concerned about uh too much power in the hand of a centralized government you know which jumping back into the the you know the the out of the frying pan of you know the the <laughs> British monarchy and into the fire of an American monarchy, um, right. but there but there, right. but there was also there, that that was one of the concerns. But there was also a concern about states losing their power, and the people who were running those states no longer having any any power or, or authority to reg, you know to regulate or run their state as they saw fit. Uh, and so you're right. That's that's the tension. So Ken, let me let me nudge us ahead here. The people who um, feel that they should engage in some sort of a legal action if they oppose abortion um, often hold signs that say overturn R.V. Wade. But all that would really do is move decisions back to the states. Isn't that correct? Uh, OK, yeah. So what would what would overturning Roe versus Wade do? Essentially, it would return the United States to um, January 21st, 1973. Um, it would. Well, legally, it would return us to that period where every state has the authority to, to regulate abortion as it as it chooses. Broader, I think I should say broader authority to regulate uh, abortion as it chooses, because subsequent to Roe versus Wade, there have been a couple of decisions that that have um, that have changed the yeah, Roe versus Wade the- framework. Yeah, so uh, I think the first one is uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Um, mm-hmm. So, so 1972, or, I'm sorry, 1992, the Supreme Court came very close to overturning Roe versus Wade. 
And in fact, during during uh, deliberations at the Supreme Court, Justice Kennedy indicated that he would he would vote to to overturn Roe versus Wade. And then later um, later he changed his mind, and so the the it went from a five four decision to an opposite five four decision. And so what they what the court did in that in that uh, in that case was. Uh, Re- reject that trimester trimester framework and said, okay, let's focus on viability. Um, you know, let's focus on on whether the whether the the uh, still it doesn't say that if you're viable, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, it doesn't say if you're viable a viable fetus that you have rights under the Constitution. It just says the state's rights, the state's uh, authority to regulate. Or, or interest, I should say, is best that 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 is triggered at viability rather than in the third trimester, and it's a, it, it changes this it changes some language from the um, from the Roe versus Wade decision, which required the the government to show a compelling government interest in protecting the fetus, um, and and that it's regulating it narrowly or, or applying it narrowly in the law. Narrow tailoring is what that's called. And so they change that to that the state just cannot create an undue burden on a, a woman seeking an abortion during that period of time. During that, That's that, where some, some state laws, like, for example, Texas. No, you're right. In 20, well, in 2013, the state, state of Texas passed a law that had several provisions, one of which was that uh, that doctors who perform ab- abortions have to have admitting privileges at um, at a, a local hospital or you know so so that uh, you know in case you know the argument the argument on on one side is well just in case something happens to the you know to the woman who's having an abortion you know we want the the doctor to be able to immediately admit her and you know the the other argument is well you're just you're just making it harder uh, it's not easy to get admitting yeah. privileges, and so you're just you're just kind of doing that. The other thing is, uh, it required that that abortion clinics had to have uh, some some uh, medical facilities that that aren't cheap that that cost money, cost a significant amount of money, and so essentially making it uh, the, the the argument is they they were just trying to make it financially impossible, and that resulted oh. in several that, that resulted in several clinics. Um, closing because they couldn't meet those. They, they didn't. They didn't have the funds for all the medical equipment that they needed, and the doctors didn't have uh, admitting um, and and or, or weren't willing or weren't able to get admitting privileges. And so that sure. was now that law was overturned in 2016 uh, in uh, Whole Woman's Health versus Hellerstedt. And so um, they said, and and so you you're you're right. The Supreme Court said that those that law was an undue burden on uh, on a woman getting an abortion uh, during that that uh, viability stage. There's one other case that that has essentially created um, created some some increased latitude on the part of the states to regulate abortion, and that's uh, Gonzalez versus Carhartt, which is 2007, and um, that is what what's called the partial birth abortion uh, mm-hmm. ban, and uh, some people don't like it. They, they don't. They think. That, I mean, some people don't like that language. They 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 use the medical 
language, which is dilation and evacuation. Um, I don't think that sounds any better, but regardless, <laughs> it, I mean, it's, it's it is uh, it is a uh, ban- it, the, the Supreme Court said that you can ban the, this procedure um, in keeping with with Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey, and so, so essentially, what what that procedure is, and it's it's kind of um, it's kind of more necessary in the third in the second half of the pregnancy because of the size of the baby or the fetus is that, uh, the, the, you know, the head is removed, but since it's not fully out, um, that it, it's not, um, it's not born. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so the, you know, so the, the fetus is, is killed at that point. And so, I mean, it would, you know, people would say, well, it's not killed because it's not a baby, but, but it is killed. I mean, even for, for anybody who's, who's kind of thinking about it, it's an, it's a, uh, unsavory kind of thing, but the Supreme Court said yes. That's uh, it, it is legitimate for the state to ban that in the second, uh, the, the second and third trimester. Um, okay, so yeah, so those are some of the bigger the bigger cases which which have have changed the landscape. But going back to your question of you know overturn Roe versus Wade, yeah, I think there are a lot of people who would say. That when you overturn Roe versus Wade, you you know, if the Supreme Court says that's bad law, that all of a sudden in all 50 states and all, you know, however many territories or, you know, protectorate, you know, that, that abortion is illegal, which is not the case. It is it, it would not because it would it would send back as part of that Tenth Amendment, it would send back to the states the uh, the the question of whether we're going to regulate um, and it wouldn't be the the courts in the states. It would be the legislatures in the states who are answerable to the people. And so, if you know, if in Texas we think abortion is is not right, then not good. Then we can elect people who would make a law against abortion. Or, and then, in, in, in other states like New York, if they if they think well, abortion is is great and necessary, and um, then they can they can pass whatever laws they want to pass. And, and so it would it would also send the question back to the states of whether a fetus is a person or mm-hmm. uh, and whether the whether so this is it's not just a legal thing. It also would send back to the political process the question of when do we as a society think abortion is necessary or appropriate um, or when do we as a society or a people think that a, a fetus is a person. Yeah, Yeah, because all these questions do go back to, well, they go back into several places to a a Declaration of Independence and a Constitution and a Bill of Rights that talks about the the sacrosanctity of life. What does it mean to be alive? You know, and as I recall, Roe versus Wade even had quotations from Socrates, as I recall, or Plato. I mean, it went all the way back trying oh, to think about it was a, Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is. And this is, I think, one of my, one of my problem. My biggest problem with the decision uh, is not the, the finding that, that there's a right to privacy. Um, my biggest, my, one of my biggest problems with the decision is it's just kind of all over the map and it kind of it kind of seeks to justify that abortion is is acceptable because the Greeks and the Romans they would have been okay with it if they could have done it legally or safely. You know, I mean, it, yeah, it is a it's it's kind of a 
philosophical mess in that regard. Okay. I want to I want to turn a page, turn a corner, whatever kind of metaphor we want to use. This this podcast is called Christians in the Public Square. And so the question that we want to that I want to put on the table and Scott can put his own questions on on his table which is the kids table. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> is, I, the question of how should a person of faith engage the public square in the face of a law that so many of us uh, disagree so vehemently with, and I would even say a law that so many of us people of faith feel in a hundred different ways about, because this is not a black and white issue, even to Christians. Yeah, And so... Um, this is a place where I'm going to let my flag fly proudly and talk about, I, I teased Scott in last episode and I teased our listeners that I'm just going to talk about a place where Scott has actually changed my mind. So let me walk down that path a little bit and then I'll quit talking so much. But um, I, from the time I was a little bitty kid, I remember my mom pointing her finger in my face in an argument setting. I even argued with my mom when I was a kid. Can you believe that? <laughs> And she would say, How old are you a first child? <laughs> no, I'm a third. I'm a third. Oh, goodness. Child. <laughs> okay, I go ahead. I'm sorry. Sorry to interrupt. She would say, You have got to become more of a realist in your mind. Well, um, I have come to learn in very late philosophical terms um, of the Enneagram that I'm, in fact, a seven wing six which is the opportunist and the, one of the first bullet points in that character characterization label is idealism. So yeah. I'm a person who likes to really think about fighting for the way things should be. <laughs> right. I'm laughing. I'm laughing. Cause one time Cole was upset at a doctor. He goes, but he's a healer. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the way healers should be. He's supposed to be a healer. I'm Go ahead. Sorry. Okay. I deserve to be laughed at that. Anyway, so, you know, to me, things like um, this is a life. This life is being killed. Killing yeah. a life is homicide. That is not merely something that I think God is displeased with. I think that is a law of the land on the books. So as a libertarian, I have no problem saying we should use state aggression against people who want to commit homicide. Yeah. And so for a long time, a period of years, I was really trying to understand the law of the land and all of its nuances. Like Ken has said, life of the mother, incest, rape, uh, it's it's there are different nuances involved in terminating a pregnancy, and the cases that you've mentioned, uh, and the very existence of Planned Parenthood with its various services and uh, its various receipts of tax money to prop it up, all these things strike me as a libertarian citizen as very offensive. But then, as I started having such a great friendship with Scott and talking with him, who is who not only, Scott, I'm going to call you a leftist, for lack of a better term, but a, a leftist Christian, I started to realize that it's 
a far better way for me to spend time trying to get at this issue from the other direction. What are my what am I doing to form relationships with people who are pregnant who wish they were not? How am I showing love to pregnant women who wish they were not pregnant? Now that is a question that doesn't it doesn't scratch all of my itches as an idealist, but it I think that it is a better question to ask than an idealist. And so, yeah. Ken, I want you to talk about your work. I did not mention this in the, in the introduction, but Ken is also a board member of an organization called Pregnancy Resources of Abilene. And I would like you, Ken, just to talk about what that does. And then as a person who is a Christian and an attorney and a person who's on the board of this, talk about your response in the public square to abortion. Yeah, well... Um... So I'm a I'm on the board of Pregnancy Resources of Abilene, which is a, a local clinic. I've been on on the board for five years and uh, vice president for three years. The mission of the um, of the nonprofit it's a nonprofit in Abilene uh, is and and so the the language of the mission is to inspire hope and unconditionally love everyone we serve by empowering them to thrive through compassionate support and positive solutions. Um, that's kind of aspirational in the sense that it, it creates a, um, a, a lofty goal. What mm-hmm. pregnancy resources is practically is a life affirming medical clinic that provides support and assistance, uh, to the most vulnerable people in our community. And, um, and so it, it essentially provides everything that you would need um, if you are, if you find yourself young and married or unmarried and, or old and in need and pregnant and really don't know where to turn, it provides everything, but, but, uh, but not abortion services. And so, uh, and it provides it all for free. And so you, you know, you want to, you want to find out if you're pregnant, free pregnancy test. Um, free ultrasound exams um, for, for, for people who are considering abortion or not considering abortion, uh, free classes and coaching. You want to learn how to become a, a, a mom and you're 16 and pregnant and you don't have, you have a, you have a terrible home life. They'll, they'll provide free, you know, you don't know how to be a dad. Uh, you don't know how to change a diaper um, and you got nobody to teach you. Uh, they'll do that. Uh, all right. If, if, uh, if a woman comes in and has a, and was pregnant and says, I'm considering abortion, uh, they will say, okay, here is why we don't think you should, you should have an abortion. Here are all the other options that exist for having an abortion. And, um, here are some services we'll provide. And they end up and have an abortion and they come back. That the, the psychological damage to somebody who has had an abortion is it's traumatic. And so if they come back and, and say, OK, I went ahead and had that abortion, even though you told me you didn't want me to, uh, they provide professional counseling to that young woman or girl and and help that um, that individual through the psychological harm of uh, the effects of abortion. So they choose to have the baby instead. They provide uh, free baby supplies, food, you know, baby formula. If they choose not to nurse, 
uh, clothing, bibs, what, whatever, stuffed animals. But all that is free um, to, the, to the people in need. And so I, when I say the most vulnerable in our community, what I mean is, is there anybody, and, and we as Christians are, are expected to, to protect and take care of the most vulnerable, is there anybody who is more vulnerable than, uh, than a baby in the womb? And I would say no, um, but not much less vulnerable than that is a 16-year-old pregnant girl whose boyfriend has abandoned her, her parents have abandoned her, uh, and she has nowhere else to turn. And so she's she's vulnerable to in all sorts of ways to to abuse. She's vulnerable to abuse by the uh, by the by those who advocate for abortion to to participate. In, uh, in the killing of the, of the infant, but she's also vulnerable financially and, and socially and in all other ways. So, so anyway, um, that I, is why I am involved in pregnancy resources, just because it stands in the gap in ways that, that really there are so few other places that will do that. Do you find, and Scott, I want you to chime in after this. Do you, Ken, do you find that this takes up all of your efforts toward this issue or do you also as an attorney seek other remedy in the um, no this is this is really the way the, 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 the way in which I engage with the issue because um, well first I will say uh, I think and a lot of people will say well you know why why are some Christians so single-minded and uh, they're like uh, they they critique or criticize. It's like this is like a one issue, and you, there are so many other issues of justice and you know in society, and there are, and you know, and we're you know, racial justice and and all other lots of other things. But but I would say this is the the single great national tragedy that exists, uh, and the uh, I would say it rivals slavery. As and, and lots, of, I think lots of Christians would believe this. It rivals slavery as the the worst black mark on American culture and society because we're we're killing thousands of uh, unborn children a year. Um, I think it's the worst crisis facing the country because every because I believe every single life that is that is ended in abortion is a, an individual who is created in the image of God and, and imbued with the divine spark that is, that is the soul. And so I, I think that's a, that's, a, uh, that's a great tragedy. I mean, there's lots of other bad things that happen in the world, but, um, but that, that is, there's nothing that rivals that. And so, and I, and I make that, and a lot of Christians, I think, make that comparison to, to slavery because, because there, there's, the analogy is, is, so, is so good. So many of the justifications for abortion are, are repeats or retreads of the justifications for slavery. Well, if these children are born, they wouldn't be able to take care of themselves. We wouldn't be able to take care of them. And so we need to, you know, to, to just kind of get rid of them or, you know, we've just, we've gone this way for so long. We just need to kind of stick this, you know, stick with this, this structure. So anyway, that, that's why I, I am so, that's why I'm involved with it. Uh, and, and you're right. This is the one, this is the way I'm, I have chosen to engage with it. 
as you said, there there are other. This may lead into your question, but there there are others who have chosen to engage with it in another way, which is you know includes holding up signs that say "Overturn Roe versus Wade." And, and why don't you do that? So why? Okay, so um, what would happen if we overturned Roe versus Wade um, right now? Well, we we kind of talked about legally what would happen, but um, but what would happen? in our society uh, if we just kind of kind of immediately just said, okay, now states can regulate uh, abortion. Would, would people change their minds? Would, would, um, would the people who are, who are holding up signs saying my body, my choice, would they instantly say, oh, well, you know, the law has changed. So I guess, you know, that's that. The reality is n- no, the the problem of Roe versus Wade, the legal problem, is um, is different than the societal problem. the 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 legal decision essentially froze in time this this discussion and debate about cultural discussion and debate about when the the baby is a, a person or w- whether abortion. And so, so if we overturn, I, I wish Roe versus Wade had never happened. Um, the, I wish the decision hadn't been made. I wish it weren't the law. I wish everybody looked at life as sacred and, and every person, whether born or unborn, as created in the image of God. But, but I don't think it would change anybody's minds if Roe versus Wade was overturned. And so, so I don't, I don't think it would be, uh, I don't think it would be helpful if it's overturned. I don't think it would accomplish what people who want it to accomplish uh, uh, I don't think it would accomplish what they want to accomplish. Now, I will say this: I think um, I think technology is is beginning to change people's minds. Uh, I, I don't, it's not happening as fast as I would I would have predicted fifteen years ago. But the ability to um, to look at a an ultrasound image of a nine week old fetus. And to see eyes being formed and a brain and a and a and arms, and and to see that, um, I think that that when you see that, it's hard not to change your mind. It's hard for people to con- who who have convinced themselves of this. It's hard for them to continue to see a fetus as just a clump of cells up into the the point of birth. But what I would what I would like to see is a change in the mindset of society that sees a baby as a, as a choice or an option, a, a change in that mindset that sees them as a, as a human being created in the image of God. And, and I think it's not going to be helpful to overturn. And it's not, I do not believe, I do not agree with this argument that you, that you pass legislation that ultimately changes people's minds. It has not worked with Roe versus Wade, which is a legal decision that's actually, you know, that reads more like a legislative decision. But, but you can't legislate people into, into seeing a, an unborn child as a human being. And so what I would like is I would like that mindset and that culture to change so that, you know, 10, 15, 30 years down the road, um, so many people see that abortion is wrong, that when the Supreme Court overturns Roe versus Wade, everybody says, well, of course, that's, you know, that that makes absolute sense. Uh, why would we have ever done that to begin with? 
just like why would we have ever enslaved people to begin with? Okay. Uh, uh, Kenneth, I am neither a lawyer nor the son of a lawyer. That's an Amos <laughs> joke. Um, so I, uh, uh, but I'm going to, I'm going to put you in the dock for just a minute. Uh, and I'm as I put you there, I'm going to start by noting that I love everything uh, Pregnancy Resources Vaveline does. I think it is uh, – I love I love giving you money. So let's talk <laughs> – I want to I start from there. I'm not trying to lead you somewhere that you don't want to go. I just want to kind of unpack some things if I can. Is that okay? Okay. Okay. Here's what I want to unpack with you. I'm going to make a statement. You tell me whether I'm right or wrong. What you're actually doing is affirming choice. Um, if I'm a pregnant young woman and I need uh, and I have a choice between an abortion or getting support from Pregnancy Resources Vaveline, y'all are affirming my choice by amplifying uh, one side of the option. But that is nonetheless affirming my choice in the situation. Would I be accurate? Well, I think uh, I would say it's accurate to say pregnancy resources and um, and others are facilitating and making it easier to make the choice of, of uh, choosing to give birth, choosing life as someone. Right. Uh, and why are you choosing to do that than make it harder for me to do the other? Well, um, because I think this is a way of, of – it's a way of, of boots on the ground – uh, with people who are in need, okay. I, uh, yeah. I, I, I think, I think, I think people who are uh, who are living on the streets are better off not living in the streets. It's a whole lot better to say, "Here's a way of getting off the streets," than to say, you know, than to the, to make it more difficult to live on the streets. Um, you know, that, I mean, that's a that's a bad analogy. But, but no, it's not. No, Kenneth, you are doing it. Listen, this is why I love you. This is why I love what you do. This is why I love. <laughs> You keep coming back to thinking about the people rather than the issue. And I admire this so, so much. Um, Cole, the difference in the, in the difference that you were describing in the way that I persuaded you makes me happy, not because, not because you abandoned some principle, but because people are more important than principles. I think that's a Christian value. I think when, when, the, when the Pharisees you know, uh, came to Jesus and say, this man heals on the Sabbath, Jesus comes back and asks, is it better to do good or to do evil on the Sabbath? Are we going to celebrate? Are we going to, are we going to protect the Sabbath or are we going to deal with people? And what I love about everything Kenneth keeps coming back to is he keeps talking about people and not just, not just the babies, but also the people who are having to deal with the babies. And I think there is something fundamentally and at its core a reflection of who Christ is to think about the people who are in this situation rather than the issue itself. I think it is quite possible to get, uh, and, 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 it, and I think that there are probably some lawyers in our, uh, um, in our lives who think about issues and don't think about people. And everything Kenneth keeps doing is talking about the people. Talk to me, Cole. What are, you, what are your what are your reactions? Well, I, I I wanted to make sure that listeners don't hear me issuing a utilitarian argument. No, I don't think so. I, I, that's my point. Is it's not a utilitarian argument; it's a human argument. Okay. And what I mean, what by are you worried? What are you worried about? Well, if I have five hours to spend on Saturday, I can either a go help pregnancy resources 
um, stock their shelves of donations and talk to young girls who are pregnant and need help. Or I can go picket, I can join the picket line to overturn Roe v. Wade. One helps more than the other, so I'm going to choose that one. That to me is a utilitarian calculus, and that's not what I'm saying. I am saying I think laws are very important, okay? Laws on the books are very important. There will be people who steal even though do not steal is on the books. And I think you should put people who steal in jail because they have broken that law. I don't think we should say, well, since people are going to steal, let's just forget the law. So I don't want to get I don't want to get too far down the road that says since people are going to abort babies they don't want anyway, let's not pay attention to the law. I just think that it's so far from 1973 and there's so many nuances and there's so many things that would that the effort and time I could spend into a law that would probably never get past any legislator versus the time I guess that is utilitarian. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. Let me tell you why it's not. I, I, I'll tell you why it's not. And and this is the thing. I this is this is why someone like me. You can call me a lefty if you want to. It's it's perfectly fine. I I think that's where I belong. But someone like me can get all supportive because I am pro life. I am pro life. I think what that means for me is that I believe in uh, the value of everybody's life. Not just the infant, but also, I mean, Kenneth, when you were talking about the vulnerability of a 16-year-old who maybe her, maybe her boyfriend quits her because she got pregnant. Yeah. Well, let me phrase that. Because he made her pregnant, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we never talked that way. And what pregnancy resources does, to, from my point of view, and this is just a, an outsider who's very, very proud of, of what you do, is it focuses on the vulnerability of people making the decision and recognizes that these are human beings trying to figure it out. And, you know, I know you didn't get to hear the episode cause it hasn't aired yet, but when Cole and I were, were watching the film, AKA Jane Roe, I think that's the thing that everybody, everybody missed the abortion rights folks missed that she's a human being. She's Norma. She's not yeah. Jane Roe. She's Norma. Uh, and they use her and they manipulate her situation to their ends. Did she manipulate them? That's a that's probably a part of the conversation. But it's very clear that she was being used and manipulated toward a particular uh, to a particular end, regardless of whether that was the the um, abortion rights folks or whether that was the pro life folks. It doesn't matter. She keeps being used, and nobody's asking what's happening to Norma. Yeah, no, I, I think that that uh, the documentary does bring that home, and uh, and I think there are some even you know some evangelicals who worked with her after she she became an advocate against abortion, who uh, who recognized kind of the tragedy of uh, of her right. of her her abuse being, being not physical right. abuse but just just using her um, using her yeah yeah yeah. And so I, I think I, I laud those people who, when she was working at an abortion clinic, who wanted to get to, to know her. Uh, it does not change my mind in the least whether somebody who used to be abortion uh, or whether, whether she actually changed her mind and was anti-abortion or not. That doesn't, that doesn't convince me of the rightness or wrongness of abortion. Um, mm-hmm. 
And so I, I think uh, to overemphasize that is a, is a, is, wasn't an error, a mistake. I think the sin that Jesus so often reacts to amongst the religious leaders of his time is that they see issues and he sees people. Mm. Do you think I'm overstating that? No. No.